You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. Good morning. You have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. As you do so, let me just say uh, I uh, have been thinking of how blessed it has been for me to be with you over the last uh, six months or so, to be your interim pastor. It's been my honor, uh, and I'm actually not looking forward to next week to be my last time with you as your interim pastor. So uh, I, I just want you to know that I really have been blessed to serve you guys, and uh, it's, uh, it's been an honor for, for my life and my family uh, to be a part of the work here in Brownwood. Uh, I've even enjoyed most of the drive uh, here uh, every week. Uh, but uh, anyway, thank you so much for blessing us by allowing us to be a part of your work here. Speaking of blessed, we want to look at the blessings that Jesus talks about in the Sermon of the Mount, uh, in, beginning in verse 6 this week. So last week we took uh, a look at a few, and we're going to look at a few more today and then finish up next Sunday. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This word blessed is something that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you need to pay attention whenever God wants to bless. So I highlight and underline in my Bible because it is something that I want us to be under the blessing of Almighty God. The world's best, this is a phrase I want to put in your mind uh, and continue to speak into you, is the world's best will never compare to God's best. The blessings of God should be our greatest desire. So the word that is used in the New Testament is the word for fortunate or for happy or for blessed. And so it's not man blessing God, but God blessing us. If you look in verse 6, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So there is a uh, more than just an understanding that we need God, that we need His work in our life, that we need His righteousness, but it is a desire to have that, to know God, to know His work in our lives, to recognize that you and I are spiritually starving And we're in need of the food that God gives us through His Word, through our relationship with Him. There's a show on TV that I love to watch, and that's American Idol. And I love to watch it because for the wrong reason. Because I love to watch the people who can't sing, okay? And, And I think in my mind, do you not have any friends? So if you're not familiar with the show... It's where you stand up and you audition as if you have the talent to be the next American Idol in music. And so when someone stands up and they are not able to sing, I think, my goodness, no one has told you that you don't have what it takes. 
You, you do not have the self-awareness to know it yourself. Now, hopefully your ear and my ear would tell us whether we need to stand with a microphone on a stage and sing or not. But obviously some people do not know. They, they have a lack of self-awareness. And what I want us to understand today is that spiritually we need to understand that no matter how long you have been a follower of Jesus, that we still need more of Him. In fact... The more that I get to know Christ, the more I walk with Jesus, the more I recognize how much of a wretched sinner I am, how much I need the influence of God in my life, not day by day, but moment by moment. And the more that I learn about Jesus, the more that I walk with Jesus, the more that I understand his heart, I desire more. So there has to be that hunger, that, that thirst for God's Word, for God's purity in our life, for God's ways to influence us, His mind to be our mind. So there is this understanding that we need to be hungry. We need to devour the Word of God daily so that we can be spiritually strong to be in the battle. It's an intense longing for God. Listen to these scriptures that that reference this. Psalm chapter 42 verse 2 says, My soul thirsts for God, the, the living God. John chapter 4 verse 13, Jesus says these words, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So there has to be a hunger, there has to be a thirst. Where there is no hunger, where there is no thirst, we become separated from God. So if religion would save you, then our world would have been rescued a long time ago. But religion doesn't save you, Jesus saves you. So what we don't need more of is religion. What we need more of is relationship with Jesus Christ that powerfully overtakes our lives and we begin to look more like Him and less like us. So no part of what God is doing in our life is enough. We, we will need more to the day we take our last breath. That God-given desire, that hunger, that desire to know more of Jesus. Scripture teaches that there must be an intense longing for the action of God in our lives. One writer put it this way. Jesus said that the deepest desire of every person ought to be a hunger and thirst for righteousness. The language here for hunger and thirsting is not for some of the righteousness, but for all of it. You see, the walk with Jesus that we are called to as followers of Jesus is not a buffet by which we can choose what we want and what we think we need. It's all or none. We need all of Jesus. We need the, the heart of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus. We, we need to know Him more. We need to know His heart. And that way it will be lived out in, in what we do. Our, our part is to seek God's righteousness and let it do the work on us. But what do we, we hunger for? If you're lost, if you, if you are without Jesus, if you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, come to a point in your life where you understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, then your hunger and thirst should be for salvation in Jesus Christ alone. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, then what we should be seeking is sanctification. That's a big church word, but it really means that there needs to be a change in our lives where we begin to understand the priorities of God are more important than our priorities. So we hunger and thirst for righteousness, which we need to stand in the presence of God. You see, we have no right to be in the presence of God. Ephesians chapter 1 says that we've been adopted in as children of the king, which, which means that we have the given authority by God to step into the presence, to the, to the throne room of God's grace. But we can't earn our way there. We, we don't deserve to be there. We are given the privilege to be there because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross that covers our sin. And His righteousness covers us. On our own, we would never, ever be enough. So we need more of Jesus in our lives. God's, we, we, we need to be in right standing. It's, it's God's putting right what was wrong. What we have messed up, God covers us. One writer said this, a given righteousness is not achieved. It's not the behavior of the believer. Listen to this, but it's the action of a, of a holy God. So we find grace, we find leniency, we find mercy because of the grace of our heavenly Father. But it produces, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled or satisfied. They will, in my mind, they'll, they'll live a peace and a peace that passes the world's understanding. It's the idea of being stuffed to capacity, moving from starvation or hunger or thirst to completely being filled. That means, in my mind, it's a change of our desire. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 1 and Philippians 3. He says this, But I am not ashamed, for I know that whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted in me. Ephesians says that I may know him and the power of his resurrections and, and, and his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It's, it's a change of mindset. It's a change of heart. So we move from hungering and thirsting to being completely satisfied in Christ. You know, the world will never give us satisfaction. The world will never bring us lasting peace. That can only come from God. Look at verse 7. He says, blessed are the merciful now this word mercy is a word that we need to latch on because we need mercy. I do not want justice in my life. I don't want what I deserve. What I want is mercy, amen? I want what I have not earned. I want what only God can give. But can I just remind us that mercy was never meant to be a selfish gift that we keep. It's meant to be something that flows through us. What's different about the, the walk of a believer, listen to me, is this. That we have been shown mercy so that we can be mercy-filled people. That show that mercy to others. This world is filled with judges. And I'll just tell, uh, tell you that none of us, none of us are qualified to be a judge. 
But what we are equipped to do as followers of Jesus is to be people of mercy. Generosity, forgiveness, love, grace. What God has given to us. Listen, we are to be a conduit that flows those things through us to others. This word mercy has said is, is a characteristic of God. So as our heavenly father and as we are adopted in his child, children of the king, we get to take on the characteristics of our father. It is giving to someone what they did not deserve. That's what Jesus has done for us and that what, that's what we need to do for others. Listen on down in Matthew chapter 5 down in verse 43. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. All right, that right there, we could just stop and talk the rest of the morning about, right? That just doesn't make sense. Love your enemies? He continues, but I, uh, so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet, your, greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What Jesus is saying is this. There is a reverse economy in following Jesus, and that is that he rewards mercy, not revenge. Now, our human nature wants to pay somebody back. Can I get an amen? That's right. That's what we want to do, right? We, We want them to be paid back for what they have done for us. But what Jesus says is that we should show mercy that we should show grace because that's what God has done for us. Anyone want to take revenge because it makes you feel better? It does. I mean, if if we think it does, we think, well, if I could just pay them back for what they've done for me, if I could just show them the same disrespect and hurt and things that they have done to my life and my heart, then I'll feel better. But if you're honest with yourself, even when you do those things, you don't feel better. You feel dirty. It's much better to give love, grace, forgiveness, mercy. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's pretty, that's pretty clear language. That we are to be people of mercy. We're to be people of grace. Jesus continues in John chapter 8, same thought process. As as they continue to ask him, he stood up and said, Let him who who is among you, uh, who who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone. So, woman caught in adultery, caught. If you remember the story, interesting that there are two who takes to do adultery and we only have one. right? Who knows where the man went? But here's a lady caught in adultery, and Jesus said, if, if you have no sin, you go first. Throw the stone. Take her life. Verse 8, he says this, and once more he bent down and wrote in the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him, and Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Who Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. 
It's speculated, nobody really knows except for those who were there that day that Jesus may have begun to write the sins of the people standing in the circle. We don't know. But here's what I know about me. I have no right to stand in judgment of anyone. And if I can be very bold and, and, and honest with you, neither do you. None of us have the right to judge. There's only one true judge and that is God and you are not Him. And so what we do have the opportunity to do is what Jesus did. Do you think this woman needed to be explained about, to be, to be, uh, uh, to, to explain what she had done wrong? Do you think that she needed to understand what sin she had committed? I don't think so. I've never had to explain sin to anyone, to myself or to anyone else. But what I have had to explain is how grace works. Because grace is not earned. It's given freely by our Heavenly Father. Was Jesus happy with her sin? Absolutely not. But what He did that day is this, and what He's done for us for many of us, many, many, many times, is that He's given us that second chance to do right. The main point that Jesus wants us to see that we need to understand is that mercy is a gift that we are able to give and we need to show it at every opportunity. One theologian said it this way, the basic meaning is to give help to the afflicted and rescue the helpless. It is compassion in action. You want to be different from the world? You want your church to stand out in this city? Then become a place where sinners can find Jesus, where they can find grace, where they can find mercy, where they can find the peace that passes the world understanding that we have found. It is recognizing our need for mercy that helps us to have mercy with other people. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says this, He saved us not because of works done by us, in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We get to become agents of change. We get to become agents of mercy. Another writer said that God's mercy doesn't just forgive our transgressions, but reaches all of our weaknesses and all of our needs. God's mercy is amazing. But we have to learn how to receive it so that we can give it. Lamentations chapter 3 says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The act here is the pouring out of an endless supply. This is a verse that I think you ought to underline in your Bible in Lamentations chapter 3 that speaks that God's mercy never runs out and it is refreshed every single day. Have you ever come to the end of the day and thought, man, this was a bad day? There's a list of mistakes that I don't even want to write down. There's a lot of things that I would have done different. Here's what I know. Not very wise, but here's what I know. I can't change anything that I did yesterday, but I can sure change how I live today. I can't change what I have done in the past, but I definitely can change what I do in the future. And so I am a child of God because I have given Him my heart. And I can't go back and fix everything I have done, but I can be an agent of mercy today. 
I can show grace today. I can show love today. I can show compassion today. I can be faithful and obedient to God and allow him to use my life for his glory and honestly for my good. Look at verse 8. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. I think we're close enough friends to admit that most of us don't look in the mirror and think, pure of heart. If you do, you need to turn from the mirror and bow your knees because <laughs> you are not. Your heart is not naturally pure. The only purity that comes to your heart comes through the power of salvation through Christ alone by His grace changing us. But Jesus says here, blessed are the pure in heart. Now he's speaking of two different things. There is an inner moral purity that we should strive for to be more like Jesus, but also there is a focus on Jesus. That inner moral purity only comes in our life through the work of Jesus Christ in us. But that, excuse me, that focus on Jesus is a daily commitment. It is a lordship issue. It is me saying, I am not God and I need him to guide my life. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He's not just talking about money. He's talking about lordship. There can't be two bosses. It just doesn't work. Someone has to be in charge. Our human nature is that we want to drive. We want to be in charge. But for Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you actually have to sit in the passenger seat. You have to let him drive. You have to let him be in charge. Listen to what James says, James chapter 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see what the devil tricks us into believing is that we can live a foot in one world and a foot in another. We can stand in the world and be whatever we want to be, that we can live any way that we desire, and that we can try to, at times, live in the kingdom of God. And what James says is that at some point, somebody's going to be an enemy. You can't live in both sides. You can't exist in both worlds. He goes on in chapter 4, verse 8, James says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So there's this inner moral purity that we need to desire in our life, that daily we need to put to death things in our life that draw us away from Jesus. And then there's this daily commitment of focusing on Jesus that we need to think about more and more and more until the day that we die. Now, let me be clear. It doesn't mean we need more religion because that's actually what Jesus attacked when he was here. If you look in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus actually attacked those who were trying to say, we need more rules. So if you look at the Bible, Jesus gave a set of instructions we were talking about earlier, the mic check, <laughs> that some people don't like some of the laws in the beginning of the Bible, but God said, here's some things that you need to do that make sense, that will keep you from harm. 
Man took those rules. God even said, okay, let me give you a short list. Here's 10. Just work on these. Man took all of those rules and said, I'm going to create a religious system. And he added, man added way more rules to the rules. Jesus, listen to what Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 23 are. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you are hypocrites. He did not understand politically correct. Okay, let's just put that out there. He says, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. In other words, you're tithing on your spice cabinet, but you miss the heart of the matter. Law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are filled with greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. It's really easy for us to go, yeah, those Pharisees, they sure had it wrong. But you know what he's saying? is that we can look like everything's okay on the outside and our heart can be in trouble. That we can say, oh, how are you this morning, brother in Christ? Oh, everything's great. And you just had a knockdown drag out in the parking lot with your wife. And and, and your life's a wreck and your kids are no telling what. And, And you're on the outside saying everything's okay, yet on the inside you are in complete turmoil. Can I just... Can I just let you know that that's actually more normal than not? To not have everything together? And if there is a place for you not to be okay, that's here. Because you are in a room filled with people who are not okay. We are all in need of grace. We are all in need of forgiveness. We are all in need of the power of God to be more at work in our lives. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect uh, families. There's this mindset, and, and if you are on social media at all, there's this, there is this filtered world that is now being presented to everyone else that everybody else is doing great, and my life is a train wreck. So we don't put train wreck photos on, on Facebook. We don't take a picture of our family when we're fighting and put it on Instagram and Twitter. Reality is that things don't always go like we want them to. So what we need to understand is that if there is a place for brokenness to be present, it is in the house of God because we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that's what your church family is for, is to walk alongside each other as we struggle in this journey of following Jesus so that He can change our heart and we can be more like Him. Because it's about the heart. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23. Listen, you can follow the rules and your heart be out of whack. To see God is to be moved by His presence in our lives. So until we begin to hunger and thirst for God's best in our life, we will not be filled. Until we begin to show mercy, we will never know what it's like when we see the hand of God at work in our lives. Until we begin to see the cleansing of our own hearts, when we begin to see God move in our personal lives. So what do we do? Let me give you a couple things. Number one, we need to be desperate for God. 
You can't fix you. I mean, if you could fix you, you would fix you, right? If we could, if we could take our mess and clean it all up, then we would do that. We need a Savior. And if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I just be honest with you? You can't cleanse your mess either. You can't fix your life. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We, we have to become desperate for God, understanding that your desperate need for Jesus is within every single one of us, day by day, moment by moment, that we are wretched, dark-hearted, wrecked sinners in need of a glorious salvation and a daily infusion of His presence in our lives. So therefore, every single one of us, every single day, need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We need to put our desires on the altar and let Jesus replace those with His desires. We need to be desperate for God. Secondly, we need to embrace mercy. If there's anything that I see, if whatever my opinion is worth, if there's anything that I see more in need of in our society today, it's grace. It's mercy. We, we need to be people of mercy. We have been given mercy so that we can give mercy. We need to show the same grace and mercy that God has given us to a world that is hurting, is being crushed. Do you, do you know that 20, I believe, 2020 just exposed the mess that was bubbling under the surface all along? Counselor offices are filling up to max capacity. Why? Because what we've exposed is the hurts of our heart, the hurts of our lives, that we are broken and we need mercy more than ever. Thirdly, we need to, we need to face the fire. If you look in, in verse 8, to, to find the purity in our heart means that we've got to go through refining of the fire. We, we need to expose what is going on inside of us. We need to look in our heart and understand that we are broken, that we are wretched sinners, that there is a darkness, there is a stain on our heart from our sin, and that we can't fix that. We need Jesus. So whether you've been a Christian for uh, a dozen years or, or 50 years, or you have been a Christian for a short period of time, whether you are here this morning and you are recognizing your need for Jesus in your life, and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you want Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, what we need to do is that we need to hand Jesus our life, and we need to hand Him our heart, and that we need to be willing to go through that refining fire so that we can do the hard work of changing our lives to look more like Jesus. Why would, we do, why would we do that? Why would we go through all of that pain, all of that exposing of, of the negative things in our life? Because there are rewards. Do, do not gloss over how Jesus begins every single one of these verses. He says, blessed. Blessed. As a pastor... I wish there existed this magic wand. (laughs) 
I wish there existed this wand that I could just wave over your life and the blessings of God would just overwhelm you, that I could wave over your life and all of your troubles and your, your, your burdens could be washed away, your sickness, your, 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 your pain. I wish that I could just wave it over and, and, and you would be free. But I can't. Our only hope is to be blessed by God. So we don't need magic. We don't need a trick. What we need is to be blessed by our Heavenly Father. And that begins every single day by looking ourselves in the mirror and saying, you are not God and you need Jesus. Every single day. I don't know about you, but I need it more than once a day. I need it regularly throughout the day, moment by moment. I need to remind myself that I am not God and I am in need of Jesus influencing my life. Blessed because we are wrecked. We are a wretched mess. But God, listen to me, He wants to do a work in your life that is unlike anything you could ever dream of. He wants to come into your life and He wants to help you clean up that mess. Now there is a prosperity gospel which is unbiblical that says that if you love God enough that bad things will not happen to you. That is a lie from the pits of hell. There are bad things that happen to extremely good godly people. But here's what I know. Whether it is good or bad in the eyes of this world, if I have my hand... In the hand of my Savior, I can walk through any day. Whether it's on the mountaintop or in the deepest, darkest valley. Because this world will not all be uh, lollipops and rainbows. There will be some very, very difficult days. When we hear words that we don't want to hear, like cancer, like death, like broken relationships, like job loss, like financial insecurity. There's some words that bring anxiety to our heart unless you're holding the hand of the Savior because you can be penniless in this world and blessed by our Heavenly Father. I'll never forget, I'll close with this story. I'll never forget my first trip to Africa. I never felt so wealthy until I saw people so desperately poor. And here's what's amazing. America sells this dream that if we can just collect enough stuff, that it will bring us joy. It'll bring us peace. It'll bring us happiness. If we can fulfill whoever dreamed up the American dream, if we could just have that, then we will be happy. You know, the happiest people I've ever met are the people with absolutely nothing. A real smile on their face. Living on almost nothing, day by day, having to gather food. Living in something that you and I would, would see as unlivable. Yet, there's a joy. The lesson is this. We don't need more of what this world has to offer. What we need is the blessing of God.
And that peace that passes the world understanding will actually give us the greatest joy that we've ever known. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www.cogginchurch.org.